If you've been listening to my show, you know that the importer on the back of the bottle is one of the surest ways to guarantee a quality bottle of wine. That's why I'm so excited to tell you about Taub Family Selections. Taub Family Selections is a dynamic, fourth-generation, family-owned wine import company with a truly incredible portfolio of fine wines from 11 countries. These wines not only embody the unique terroir in which they are produced, but the passion and integrity of each family member involved from vineyard to table. Notable estates include Mastro Berardino, Bertani, Travlini, Ferrari, Coldorcia, Trimbach, Jean-Luc Colombo, Jean-Michel Jarin, among many other renowned producers. They also have from Bordeaux, Lafitte Rothschild from the left bank, and on the right bank, they have Chateau Lafleur. I'm telling you, these guys have it all. To find out even more, go to TaubFamilySelections.com. That's T-A-U-B, FamilySelections.com. What's up, everybody? It's MJ. Welcome to season four of the Black Wine Guy Experience. My team and I are excited to continue to bring you the enlightening conversations and brilliant wine suggestions you've come to know and love. And trust me, this season's guest list is epic. And for the first time on the show, I've partnered with some incredible winemakers to bring you, my listeners, a unique opportunity to purchase some bottles that you may not have been aware of or couldn't find, but you will be able to get them soon. All right, everybody, in the words of the BC Boys, kick it! Hey, I'm MJ Taller, also known as a black wine guy. I went from being a totally obsessed wine newbie to becoming the world's first ever African-American fine and rare wine auctioneer in less than three years. In this show, I'll be talking to the Mavericks, the philosophers, the players, and the deep thinkers who inhabit the world of wine. They'll share their experiences on how they made it, but more importantly, how they failed and got back up again. So grab a glass and let's get to it. This is the Black Wine Guy Experience. Hey everybody, what's up? It's your boy MJ and welcome to the Black Wine Guy Experience. My guest today was the executive producer and writer for the Emmy Award winning TV series Cheers a published author, co-founder of the podcast network Ricochet, and host of the weekly podcast Martini Shot. <laughs> yeah, not <laughs> wine, <laughs> Please welcome Rob Long, everybody. Uh, Rob is a graduate from Yale University, and he also spent two years studying at UCL School of Film, Theater, and Television. He began his career writing and producing TV's long-running series Cheers and served as co-executive producer in its final season, during his time on Cheers, the show received two Emmy Awards and two Golden Globe Awards. Rob has twice been nominated for an Emmy and has received a Writers Guild of America Award. His podcast network, Ricochet, garners four to five million downloads per month. I should get on that network. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he writes regularly for the Washington <laughs> Examiner and Commentary Magazine has been a contributing editor at the National Review since 1993. His most, most recent book... Bigly, Donald Trump in verse, is a comical string of Trump's most popular quotes arranged in poetry form. Rob serves as co-president on the board of directors of My Friend's Place, an agency for homeless teens in Hollywood, and is on the board of the American Cinema Foundation. He's also an active and passionate member of the Southern Foodways Alliance, and he's here because he's also an avid wine enthusiast. Yeah. 
Welcome, Rob. Anything you'd like to add? I uh, know that sounds. I, that's I. I don't even know who that guy is. Don't you? Look, I tell people all the it's time. Like, like people read your, your bio and I'm like, who? That, that's who me. That's wow. I, I did yeah. That? It, it took a long time to do all that, so it's like I'm kind of. If I did it today, I'd be tired. But like, <laughs> and also some of that stuff's a little out of date, so I should correct that. But but the, the gist of it is true. So I, I am not that person, but I technically am that person. I I know what you mean. Yeah. I know what you mean. Um, so Rob, what are we drinking tonight? So this is a 1998. Uh, Casse de Tournelle. It's uh, Santa Steph. I've had this in my cellar for a while. Um, and when I was living in LA, I would uh, I collected wine. I had it. I lived in LA for thirty years. You can see the sediment on the side there, um, and uh, which is a good sign. It means I actually stored it right. Yeah, it means uh, it's doing what it's supposed yeah. to do. Uh, and uh, then I brought it all to New York when I went to New York. And I thought, um, and I, you know, in LA, you have, all you have is room. <laughs> and so I had plenty of room to store the wine and store it like in those big coolers, like the, the way they're supposed to. And then when I moved to New York, you don't really have that kind of room, or at least I don't have that kind of room. So um, I decided what I'm going to do is drink it. And instead of, because like, and I know people, I have a friend of mine who's a very, very avid wine collector. And even he sort of calculated recently that he would be 117 years old by the time he finished drinking all his wine if he drank a bottle a day or something. And he thought, oh, that's no, no good. I got to start drinking it now. I have to drink it. And give it away and drink it. And that's, that's what I'm doing. I'm yeah, drinking it. I think that's great. I think during quarantine, that became a thing, uh, a thing again, um, with uh, former Wall Street Journal t- uh, writers, Dorothy Gator. Yeah. Yeah. So, they, so we, back in the day, like in the early 90s, they started uh, Open That Bottle Night. Open That Bottle Night was fantastic. Right. Yeah. So it got revived during quarantine because, you know, I had Kevin's Rally on. And he said the same thing. He's like, I started drinking all my wine. I'm not even yeah. a kid. He's like, his son, his son is in the wine. He's like, hey, dad, you know that DRC is like, that's worth twenty five thousand dollars. Like, we yeah. should sell. He's like, no, 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 no. I'm drinking that. I bought it. I also think it's kind of a weird thing. I mean, I, I get it. I understand people when they make the argument, the the investment argument, or they make it to themselves. But I don't know. Like, what does that even mean? If if it's worth money, then sell it. Right. If you like it as money, then turn it into money. Um, but you didn't buy it. For the for the money, so either drink it or sell it, but don't like weirdly put it in limbo where it's you're storing it and waiting for some. I don't know what are you going to wait for that the ERC the some twenty five thousand dollar a bottle event in your life. Right when is like, that? Well, <laughs> well, I don't know. Is this twenty? Is it or is this twenty thousand dollars a bottle? Or maybe this is only a fifteen thousand dollar bottle day. Uh, and like I don't know. Like I and then what if you open it and it, I don't know. Like I've opened really good wine for people and I've noticed that some of them just you're know, like yeah this is fine. Well, that's the thing too. Yeah. Like, yeah. who are you opening it with, right? Right. I mean, so, and and also, then you hold it like, and it's corked. That's the worst thing. Yeah, somehow. Like, I, I actually feel like I cook more than I care. I, I care more about food than wine. Okay. So, um, at a certain point, the food I was cooking um, seemed to be seemed to go for a different kind of wine. Frankly, mm-hmm. a cheaper kind of wine. Yeah. And so now I find like I get a couple cases, you know, a month or every other month from Kermit Lynch in, in Berkeley, which is a great wine importer. Uh, and, you know, some of those bottles are $30 a piece, mm-hmm. which is a lot for, you know, like he's got more, but like that's that's a, that's a an expensive bottle. But for him, he also sells these great French bottles from the south of France and Provence for like $17 a bottle. Yeah. And these fantastic uh, Loire reds and whites for – Sometimes eleven, fifteen dollars. Like, it's great, and then you can open that bottle and you can just drink it every night, and you don't feel like well, they're delicious no, wines. Yeah, right, too. right. No, they're great wines. Yeah. You know, but you know, to, to Kermit does rep Quintarelli, which is like a thousand bucks a bottle. Yeah, that's right. He, he does that. He, he yeah. discovered Couch yeah. de yeah. Right. Yeah, he's not like he's not. Uh, but you're right. Not a org. He, he's, he, not, yeah. he's about. A, he's a guy who's about. Um, you know, wine belongs to food. Yeah. 
and yeah. and to do that, you know, um, like you said, like he'll have a killer Borgonia for thirty bucks or something, you know. So I, I totally agree with you. Um, all right, man. Um, and you know, this is this is doing exactly what it's supposed yeah, to do. Yeah. So this is Bordeaux. Uh, my descriptor for older Bordeaux is shit dipped pencil tip. It's got pencil lead and it's got yeah, right. It, it, you know, they you might call it barnyard funk or manure. Yeah, there's lots of. I'm from Jersey. Right. It's yeah, shit. yeah, it's shit. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> the uh, I've always loved that. Like, bar- there's there's uh, barnyard odors, or the if you into this stuff, you can read Robert Parker, who's a great great wine critic, and probably maligned too much, but like it, I would agree. Yeah, but it, but you know he's pretty solid. Uh, if you know what he likes, then you kind of understand why it's a hundred. If you don't, you know. But he would always say that his was redolent of cigar box, <laughs> licorice, ground meat. And barnyard, yeah. I'm like wow, that doesn't sound. Yeah. That actually literally sounds like garbage. Yeah, <laughs> but it's really good wine. <laughs> oh, this is too much fun. I can, like, I can, we could just keep. And, and another one of my favorite descriptors is, is cat pee. You get cat pee in certain wines. You do get a little cat pee in there. Yeah, I mean, but it's like it's people, like, people are like yeah. I'm like, no, that it doesn't mean like it's doing what it's supposed to do. Yeah. I mean, no, I wouldn't drink cat urine. Well, but I mean, if you it, I mean, would make you live forever. <laughs> you, if you go to a spa, that's what eucalyptus smells like to a lot of people. Exactly, you know, to get over it, you know. <laughs> so, according I'm to just Google, pour myself another yeah, glass. Yeah, help you yourself. That's you all right. Um, you're originally from Maryland. Is... Yeah, I was born in Baltimore. Okay. Oh, the Wire. Yeah, that's um, right. That's what people say. The Wire. <laughs> Tell me about your childhood. Well, it was like the, just exactly like the Wire. If you saw the Wire. Uh, well, I was we were born there. Um, family was from there, uh, Northern Virginia. Uh, and then we moved to Europe, lived in Europe for a few years when I was a kid. And then we moved back to the States. We moved back to the States. We moved to Northern California. Where, where in Europe did you live? In Holland, of all okay. places. I was like, so I was like it's gonna, did it influence wine culture? No. 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 Nope. Holland <laughs> influenced nothing. It was like a completely <laughs> ridiculous place. You're going to go all the way to Europe and end up in Holland. But it seemed like the place to go and was my, my dad was working at the time. Um, and, then, uh, and then back to Northern California. So okay. that's kind of like when I was becoming aware of the, the wines that I was aware of were French and then – than Napa. Okay. Uh, and, to, to, and to this day, I, the wines that I know are French, and I don't know any real, I don't really know any California wines. Yeah. There's just too many of them, and they're really hard to keep track of. So I, I just sort of said, oh, I don't have to know these. I, I, I trust people to know them for me. Um, and I think that is sort of, I mean, I think people, I think we forget that you don't have to know anything. You, I love that you know. about you. I, I tell people all the time, I'm like, I, yeah, I, I know a fair amount about wine, but I have, I'm, I'm a wine guy who has a wine guy. I got people I'm like, yo, what do you think yeah, of this? Yeah. And I and I read critics knowing what their palate is. You mentioned early, like, don't be mad at Parker. You don't like what he likes. It's fine. Yeah. You know, now you know what you don't like. But like, he likes it big and yeah, he likes he likes it in your face. Pencil tip dipped in shit. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. Like, in yeah. your face. Um, oh, that's good. Good. Yeah. Um, your parents. What was your dad? What did he do? He for was work? in the electronics business. Okay, uh, and that was like so bright early, you know, early mid seventies. So that was, uh, you know, there there were three places. There was Europe. At that point, the town town we were in in, in Holland was called Eindhoven, and it was sort of the 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 Silicon Valley center of Europe at the time because there was a big uh, big Dutch electronics company, worldwide company called Philips, that was based there. Okay, and so it was sort of the magnet. And then uh, then when it was time to come back to the States, we went to Northern California because that was Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, you know, I was away at school. My brother was away at school too. They moved back to New England where my mother was essentially from, where I was born. And they um, and that was like Route 128 was where they lived. So um, he kind of like surfed the 70s, 80s, 90s um, tech business. Um, and, you know – Essentially, I know nothing about that. I can, I can say, like, you know, <laughs> I wish I could. You know, he was an engineer. He was a really smart yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's really cool. Um, 
were your parents, were they uh, into film and TV? I mean, or are you just a kid who watched TV and film? Or? Yeah, I mean, they were not. I mean, I think... I think they were, there's a white knuckle kind of high wire act ride for them when I announced at some point in college that I, this is what I wanted to do. Between that and actually getting paid to do it, there was some tense, I mean, they never shared that with me, but I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I that they were like- I didn't send you to Yale. Right. Like what, I don't, you know, writer. I don't think I can afford for you to be a screenwriter, if you know what I mean. Like, so, uh, and I, I guess I, I, I guess I realized that when I got my first job. And their thrill, their their joy w- uh, went beyond normal parental pride. Mm-hmm. It went also to like this, oh, thank God. We don't have to worry about him anymore. Um, which is probably, uh, uh, you know, I probably would have done better had I been worried about me a little bit more. And they worried about them a little less, worried about me a little less. But that's just the way it is when you have kids, I guess. You just, I don't have kids. But if you have kids, I think that's what you do. You like, you just naturally think, oh, I hope... I hope this isn't a disaster. Yeah. And I hope – because I don't want it to be a disaster for this child that I, you know, technically, biologically have to love. But also <laughs> because I just I just can't afford it. I want to like – you know, my parents – I want to – we want to travel. We want to go to Paris. We don't want to give our money to, to this child struggling to, to, to live his ridiculous right. idiotic dream in L.A. <laughs> so um, – you you went you went to high school in California. You were back on the East Coast. Right? Back on the East Coast. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, um, Yale, your first choice. Yeah, I mean, I went to a fancy boarding school. So, and back okay. in the day, so you kind of like could. This is not the way it is anymore. Uh, thank God. But you kind of like you know, if you had certain, you know, you could kind of. No, it was circles. I I yeah. I went to school in New Haven. And I you know, and I kind of know you know like. Like if you went to one school, you got into Princeton. It was like right. yeah, if you went this school, right. you were getting into Yale. That it's, it was like yeah. a, it was a racket. <laughs> I mean, it's still a racket, but at least it's a slightly more fair racket. Yeah, but it's not that much more fair. It's just it's a ra- you know. I, I mean, I I, I I dream of the day that people. I shouldn't say this because I I, can, I just taught my first class at I I, I teach Wednesdays now at NYU. I teach okay. in a writing thing, and um, it, it does seem like people are. They're just kind of because not the students I met today seem really smart and engaged. Okay, but just in general, right? It feels at least a lot of people are just sleepwalking through the most expensive four years of their lives. Well, it's not on them, so right, 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 right. <laughs> it's like you know, maybe, maybe you know, take the money, take half the money, and travel for two years. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, actually, I think all all kids would be better off if they just like, yeah. I think I think a, a gap year where you could actually yeah. get a student loan to travel would be a, yeah. a, a cool thing. Yeah, and and, and I would just do it in and in exchange. You don't do four years; you do three. Yeah, I think that would. I think that. And I used to work in, in for a nonprofit in education. We call path college stuff, and I was like, yeah, I think stuff needs to change for a lot of people. Um, so, you know, you went to Yale. <clears throat> Um, I went to Southern because I'm a state school boy. Um, but we got to talk New Haven yeah. pizza, man. Oh yeah. What, what was your What was your spot? What was well, your, well, I can't say the spot because that's a, so. What was your place? Yeah, the spot was actually your place. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, there's two ways to look at it, right? There's the really the good pizza that's famous, Sally's or Peppy's. Um, or Sally's and Peppy's now. I think they changed a little. It's bit. Sally's, Peppy's, for, 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 uh, Frank and Pe- Peppy's. Uh, no, it's it's uh, Frank. It's yeah, it's Frank Peppy's, but it's called right, Peppy's. Right, right. Yeah, that's it. Um, and they were both really, really good, and they both remain really, really good. At least that past couple of years, I was there two years ago. 
Uh, and they have sort of famous white clam pizza, which yep. is a very New Haven-y thing. It's yep. delicious. Invented in New Haven, yeah. Um, uh, wood-fired. Um, wood-fired? Yeah, wood, yeah. wood-fired. Well, no. Um, coal. Coal. Coal, yeah. Blistered crust. Right. Really, really good. Charred. Yeah. Like that most yeah. people in America would think, oh, you burnt that pizza. No, it's no, good. That's yeah. a labor, level flavor yeah. people. And, you know, and the and the classic Neapolitan style, kind of sparing on the toppings. Yeah, you not know? a lot of cheese. Yeah. You don't go crazy. Yeah. Not a lot of sauce. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a, delicious. I mean, <clears throat> I like them both. But as a student, as an undergraduate, um, like you're not going to walk, you know, we're lazy. Like you're going to walk all the way down there. No, I know. It's just for Street. a slice. Yeah, that's not. Uh, so there was a great place, not there anymore, uh, called Naples Pizza. And Naples Pizza delivered, did slices and then slices of like, they would do in the afternoon, uh, a pizza that was just uh, cinnamon toast, basically. Cinnamon butter on it. Mm. And then they you could get a, that and like a, you know, a cup of coffee or something. Um, and that was really good, and it was like much closer to classic New York slice. Probably the closest thing is like you know, um, Joe Joe's Pizza, mm-hmm. or like a cla- or, or even Bleecker Street, like classic New York slice. Um, and then because it's New England, right? People forget about this when they live in other parts of the country. Like there's a huge number of Greeks, and like the Greeks run everything, like coffee shops and stuff, and diners, like, yeah, and a Greek pizza place. Was like a staple of a New England town, and there was one called Yorkside. Still there. Yeah, I know Yorkside. Yeah, and they make good. good pizza. They make good pizza. And there's a there's a place. That's you got a lot of people. People don't realize New England is pretty diverse um, because of Yale. <laughs> um, but there's actually a Middle Eastern place, uh, right, uh, right around the corner near Yale, and they wood fire. They make New Haven pizza. Right. And and then my wife's from New Haven. She oh wow. She was a modern girl. She like modern beats. Okay. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, that's you know that's fancy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, it's also you know it's, it's authentic. It's, yeah, it's yeah. authentic. I think they came out in the '30s or '40s and probably yeah. the '20s. So they're right. right there. They're one of the big three. And then uh, I I don't know if you go back for reunions, but have you been to bar yet? No. See, I've been back in a couple of years. Yeah. So you got to go to bar. Trust me, you want to get the mashed potato and bacon pizza. Is that the one? Is bar on like Crown? College Street. On oh, Crown, College. No, Crown, no, Crown, Crown, Crown. Okay, yeah. It's on Crown. I've heard of it. Yeah. yeah. Um, that was like just just heating up. Crown was just heating up when I left. Yeah, that because I I graduated in '92 and bar was open just like a year then. So yeah, okay, so you might have you might yeah. So I just Crown was just which, yeah yeah. Um, but yeah, bake, mashed potato and bacon, man. That's not, see, I feel like the thing about pizza, is, and, and that New Haven is like great for that because you have all different kinds, is that they're all good. Like yep. they're all fine. It's like wine. It's like they're all – I mean you can like them all. You don't have to say, well, I prefer this and I'm not – so that means the other stuff is bad. No, no, no. The other stuff's good too. Um, I mean the Greek – a Greek salad and a, a half a pepperoni pizza from York side. It's not like – you're not – you're not you're people in, in, Na- in Naples will hate you, but it's pretty good. Yeah. And then you could also get a, the meatballs uh, sl- a sl- sub, which is like super, super New England thing. <laughs> totally. <Yeah. laughs> and lobster rolls, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Connecticut versus Maine. Right. They're all pretty good. They're all pretty good. I'm not going to say no to it. I'm not going to say no. I do like, I like butter more than mayonnaise, Me too. I think. Me but, too. But they're both good. Um, and then also, did you ever go to Louis' lunch? Louis' lunch. I did. I yeah. did. Louis' lunch was like... Uh, it, would, it was open intermittently and it would close. Yeah, they went for like a few hours a day. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it would close. And then, but I've, I've, I've since been back and it seems like it's a little bit like they have, uh, they have, I get, I get, they have begun to manage their brand, I think is the, is yeah. the way. It's open more regularly and open a little later. The, the thing about Louis' lunch is that 
they just have decided to double down on this kind of not true thing that they invented the hamburger. Right. That's it's yeah. it's known as the birthplace of the hamburger. Yeah. It's not really. I don't. I don't think. I put it this way. It's, that is an unproved. Uh, yeah, it's, it's not a verifiable fact. Yeah. <clears throat> and they so they cook it in this brazier on both sides, and they put it on um, white bread on on Pepperidge Farm sandwich bread yep. with like cheese whizzy, with like like a kind of a spreadable cheese. And a, a slice of tomato and a slice of uh, onion, and it sounds weird. It's delicious, and you and it's the only way you can get it. There's no, it's yeah. not Burger King. It's not hold this. It's, yeah, it's get out. And there's no ketchup. No, exactly, no ketchup. And yes. right. if you ask for it, they kind of pretend like ha ha ha. It's funny that you're asking for it, um, but they don't think it's funny. <laughs> and so, but they used to have this 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 uh, you know squeeze bottle of ketchup, like it was rigged. So. Um, it had a red string in it, so if you squeezed it, this red string would shoot out like it was like a str- oh, like, like, like a like a thing of, of ketchup. And if you really asked for it, the guy would say, "Here's some ketchup for you," and he would squeeze it, and you'd think that he was squirting ketchup on you. And it was sort of like you know when people are pretending that they think it's really funny and they're really really mad. That's yeah. how they, it was not fun. It was like <laughs> it was it was not it was not genial. It was don't order ketchup. And then there's another place since we're talking about New Haven. Yeah, it was my favorite place in clothes. It was the uh, um, Yankee Doodle. Which was a little counter, a counter about this, a little bit bigger, maybe ten, maybe ten seats, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, that's it, like a counter and stools, and then a wall really close to the stools it was super narrow, and um, and that was just like this classic hot top hot top diner, um, where this one guy, the guy who owned it, had managed to run this his grill or his griddle like and it was so efficiently. He could cook all sorts of different things, and everything was small, so he ordered one or two of everything, and um, and he, he would do this thing, which is the first time I ever saw it. Like you could go and you could say, "I'll have a, a pig in a blanket for breakfast, or a pig in a blanket and scrambled eggs, and a, a grilled donut," mm. and he would take a fresh, like cakey, don- you know, baked donut, and slice it like a bagel, and butter it, and then grill it, and you got it like a bagel on a little plate with like grape jelly. I mean, this is like you can only eat this when you're 20, because even when you're 25, you start to like getting type two right from that. Exactly, yeah. heartburn. Right. Oh yeah. You know, but no, I, I, that, I love that. There was a place when I lived out in California. They would griddle muffins. The same thing. Mm. Cut a blueberry muffin ass, so slather good. it butter, and it's got crispy bits oh, on it. So good. And then you can do all. You can like put some creme fraîche if you want to. Oh I mean, yeah, yeah, you want it fancy. Yeah, you want yeah. It fancy. You know. <laughs> But it was one of those places where they would do the butter. But a and donut a, slice yeah. in half, bro. It's a Ooh. big vat, and there would be a big old paddle, and they would like scoop and get a paddle of butter and stick it on the thing, and and like it was the kind of t- it was time. So this is nineteen. I graduated eighty seven, so this right. in the late eighties, um, where uh, like no one, no one looked at, no one thought that was weird. Like now they be, oh my god, what's wrong? What happened to you today? That this is what you're doing? Like what's wrong? Like, did someone, is everybody okay? Are you okay? Are you depressed? Are you, I know. I, yeah. I, you can't eat your feelings. Yeah. I'm like, I can. I sure I can. <laughs> My feelings are good. Exactly. exactly. I'm feeling sugar. good about what I'm about to eat. Yeah. Right. Well, that is what wine does, right? Well, Absolutely. You like, you like your food better. <laughs> so, um, after Yale, right to USA, like, hop on a plane, go to USA? Uh, no, I, I spent a year teaching English in okay. my old school, and then... Uh, and then really just for no other reason than I just wasn't really ready to get in the car and go. And then I got in the car and went. And then I showed up in on Labor Day of 1988 and uh, just kind of like – now people do it. Like now young people 
I mean, I was in a class today at NYU, and they're you know, these are all sophomores in college, uh, and they know everything about show business. They're completely like hip. They know they're writing a script. There's some some of them. This is their second script they've written or right. third. That's why they took the class. Oh, Rob Long went to yeah, that class. Right, right. That's why they took right. the class. But last, like when I was there, like when I was in their position, I had no idea how to do any of this stuff. Nobody ever, no one told you that. Everybody was going to be a banker, um, mm-hmm. which I also didn't know how to do, uh, but. <laughs> So so I, so it's kind of weird. You go out there and like I didn't didn't know anything. So you go to school a little bit and and it was a, it was a good school, a bunch of good teachers and really good, cla- you know, my class there. They were all you know they all want to do great stuff and so we all kind of helped each other and support each other and and would um, some uh, one guy I know who uh, wrote um, you know fun funny indie movies uh, just pulled me aside once and said, hey, I met this person you should meet. Uh, someone does TV. Uh, uh, and I, I like you should you should connect it, and that's kind of the way it was. It was really very very, very good. Like I, I'm, I hope it still remains that way. Yeah, because that was kind of part of the fun of it was like you know, joining a tribe, right? Yeah, like exactly. a bunch of people, so your same age, your same moment in career, you're right. just starting out. It's kind of you know, it's very cool. You, you know, the, I think the word they call it, it's a cohort, but it wasn't a cohort. It was just like this, this is my crew. It's my friends. yeah, yeah, yeah right, you know? right, right. Um, so. And then I have to ask this. I mean, did you do the classic Route 66 and you drive straight to the Santa Monica <laughs> Pier or are you like, no? No, I didn't. I didn't. I, uh, well, kind of, I guess, because technically, I don't know how I did. I think we went, I was, no, I was on, I have 40, I think. And I've since done it a bunch of times. So I actually do like that drive. Uh, and I guess at 40, at some point, you hit Vegas or you're just yeah, below you, Vegas. At 40, you go on the northern, more northern yeah. route. Yeah, yeah. And then you go, and then you go up to Vegas because you're like, oh, I'm, well, so I'm, I'm only three hours from Las Vegas. Exactly. Yeah, uh, and then you then it's a long, it's a five hour it's drive, five down, drive down, down, down L.A. Right. right. Uh, but I've since done it. And I was driving across like years and years ago with a friend of mine who grew up in Moss Point, Mississippi, and he was going home uh, for Thanksgiving. And so we got on the car in. I, mean, I lived in Venice at the time, and I picked him up, and we got on. Uh, the ten, which yep. is, because you call, you call, in LA you refer to all the freeways by the the yep, ten, right. the four hundred five, whatever. And we got on at the very end of the ten, which is the Santa Monica Pier, and then we just got on ten, and it just kept going. And then eventually, the Moss Point exit in Mississippi is off of the ten, so you just stay on the ten. You go. All the way through the desert, you go through Texas, you go through Louisiana, yep. and then you go through New Orleans, and then suddenly you're in Mississippi, then in the coast, and um, and then he got off. That's oh, you're exit forty seven in Mississippi. Well, you know, we're, we're ne- we never got off. It was pretty cool. That was like you realize just how big the country is too, how big Texas is. Holy moly! Oh yeah, I did that once. Um, drove across country, actually from Baja, drove up Baja, oh, and across. Um, people don't realize the halfway point, little fun fact, the halfway point, if you're driving from the East Coast, uh, say like New York to California, the halfway point between uh, California is in Texas. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> like, you, like it's Texas. It's you're always in Texas. Huge. Yeah. Like, it's literally. The, uh, you know, the other state that's like that, that people forget, is Tennessee. So if you get on, oh yeah, because we because we, we went oh to Tennessee God. because yeah, you, you, we went through Asheville and we're like shit, I'm still in Tennessee. You're still in Tennessee because it's got that weird shape goes out. Yeah, Knoxville all the way to, to uh, Memphis. Yeah. It's like a that's like a big that's like it's ten hours. Yeah, yeah, it's a hike. It's, it's like California on its side. It's weird. <laughs> so um, were you 
looking for a job or you knew you were going to go to school when you were out there? No, I, ha- I was going to go to film school. So like, okay. I figured like better than a job is like... To, oh, hell you yeah. Know, yeah, I don't have a job. That's how I ended up with a law degree that I'm going to use. But <laughs> yeah, I was like, right, I don't right, know. Let me right. go. What can I do? What's easy? LSAT. Oh, yeah. That's, <laughs> oh, wait, that's easy. I did. I had the LSAT um, prep book in um, uh, next to my bed. I'll see. And I thought, you know, look, if I don't get something soon, I'll just do that. And I was so arrogant. I thought, oh, I'll just do that. Like, I have since looked at the LSAT. I mean, maybe I'm just too old, but look at it. Like, oh, my, I could never. I don't even well, I know. Think, I think. What I is think... the Pythagorean? I mean, like doubles. It's like, all I... logic. It's like, you're like, there's like math on it and shit. You're like, what the hell? I don't know. I don't know shit. Yeah, right. Um, you made the right move. <laughs> yeah. <that's> right. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, um, what was it like living in Southern California? Because you had lived in Northern California. You know, I, I mean, I liked it. I still, I was there for 30 years. Oh, wow. So I know people who um, hate it, but I didn't hate it. I thought it was great. It yeah. was great. It was like sunny and I lived at the I beach. I know, people, and, I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, yeah. I mean, like, people talk about, this is something, and, and you've lived on both coasts and you live in New York now. I'm like, when I moved back 10 years ago, no, shit, 12 years ago, <clears throat> um, it's 2022, yeah, yeah. Um, I was like, what are you talking about? Traffic's just as bad here. Everybody talks about how bad traffic's in LA. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, at, least, at least I'm looking at palm trees. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I just feel like it's like the, the, the thing that I didn't like about LA were just because I had been there too long. And I'm sure if I had been in New York for 30 well, years, I'd feel thing. the same thing. You know, everybody's talking the same thing. Everybody, like, especially in LA, there's, there's this one conversation. We know what it's about. It's about the mill. The mill it's a mill town. Everybody right. talks about that business. Um, and, you know, at a certain point, you get to be a certain age, and, like, if you're going to be challenged to, like, come up with new ideas and new stuff, you have to sort of change your environment a little bit. Um, and if you're just doing the same thing every day, which is not bad, like, I mean, you know, like going to the same place for your coffee, walking in the same neighborhood. I lived in Venice. I lived in Venice for <clears throat> almost, you know, I mean, 25 years. Yeah. Uh, like, I, I knew my neighbors. It was a very neighborly place, but, like, there's a kind of, like, okay, something's got to change here, or I, I, I'm just, every day's the same. Um that's kind of the that's the only downside, but that's not because it's L.A. I mean, L.A.'s like it's. I mean, by the way, now I think it's a very different city. Now it's incredibly interesting and diverse and crazy. And now I think you do go places, and no one you meet is in the entertainment business, and they're all still doing really interesting, cool things. Yeah. So there's a different. It's a. It's it's really really sort of come into its own just in time for me to leave, or maybe <laughs> it required me to leave for it to like, go you up. Were, you were you yeah. were holding it up. Yep. Ah, uh, there, Rob. Um, what's that? There's a poem. I don't know. It's Bernstein, but it's like live live on the East Coast, but don't stay till you get too hard. Live on the West Coast, but don't stay till you get soft. So, oh, that's yeah, that's a good idea. And and that's that's kind of what it is. Like you know, but I mean, you wake up on Christmas and it's 72 degrees. Yeah, and you're like, fuck the snow. Not bad. <laughs> it's not bad. My first Christmas, I was like, I'm in a hot tub on Christmas. Right. I remember <laughs> I was like coming back from here. Some like right around this time of year, like January, February, cold in New York. It was cold, and I was I'm like, land at night in LA. And I got into the taxi, and I'm going, going to my uh, taking me to my house. And you go down a hill, you go down Lincoln um, Avenue from the marina into the marina from the from LAX, and it's sort of big. And you kind of see the side, the see the 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 city, the lights of the city. Mm-hmm. And it's like middle of January. You roll down the window, and you can smell. The night blooming jasmine in LA, and it's like that's not bad. Mm-hmm. That's not. I just left, not like pretty winter tide 
like crystal wintertide. You know, you leave, I left brown, black, slushy snow. It's wet. It's not pretty. Nothing looks good. And like, eh, you know. Yeah, snow's good while it's falling. Oh, it's beautiful. And then while I, it's then falling. I, then and I then, want to get then, back in that taxi. Exactly, oh, yeah, right. Exactly. And then yeah. the day after, it's like, right. oh, Fido was here. You're right. That's and, it, and his right. nasty-ass owner didn't pick up after him. <laughs> and at least that's frozen. I just think the, the general look of it is just... This, and it's just like slush, 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 yeah. I mean, even like slush. I, but I say that now. I like it. I, I'm happy. I'm here. I love it here. Like, no. I'm still not over the fun of it, of the fact that I have all these sweaters I get to wear again. Right? That's the thing, right? Like, when you live in California, LA, like, it'll be like 60 and women are wearing fur coats because it's cold. Yeah. Like, yeah. like, they bring, they bring out their boots. Yeah. Like, they, like, they literally still wear the winter fashions, but it's oh, like God. 60 degrees. They're like, yeah, I mean... <laughs> We have, people are sitting outside in New York because of COVID, mostly. But sitting outside in, in in awful weather with that one stupid heater that doesn't really do anything. And like, this is fun. This is fun. People in LA would just not stand for that. I mean, my God, it's like you you have to sweat from the heat outside it, at night because the heater they they they're always yeah, they, fighting. They, they, turn they it have, up. Turn they it have up. Those heaters, like you said, in like everywhere. Yeah. When I lived in Santa Barbara, we'd have the heater. Oh my God! Yeah. I was like, I was like, dude, it's, it's sixty five degrees. What are you? Oh, I'm freezing. Oh my god. What are you oh talking god. about? <laughs> oh my god. But then you stayed there for a while. Like, then after I was there yeah. for like six years, I was like, shit. And, and my joke was like, they're like, it's freezing. I'm like, no, freezing is thirty two degrees. Okay, so let's stop saying it's freezing. Then it was like, it'd be like, oh my god, it's fifty eight. So freezing. Let me raise my fleece. It's in the fifties. <laughs> exactly. That's right. Yeah. Horrified. You're horrified. <gasps> you know, I get And also, when it rains, it's like it's raining. I have to stay home today. Because it's raining. They need to stay it's home. Raining. You, you realize they don't know how to drive. They them. don't know how to drive. They it's freak like, out. It's like yeah. an inch of snow in Atlanta. Like literally. Yeah. Right. 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 I remember, dude, seeing as this going down to 101. I was living in Santa Barbara. I was going to LA, and it's it's and it's pouring. Like when it never rains in California, but it, it was pouring, right. right? And somebody's going down to 101 like 80 miles an hour, and I'm like, they're going to hydroplane, right? And sure as shit, this was I. I and when you see stuff like this, it's like in slow motion. All of a sudden, the car just starts spinning, and it, and like you, like it, it seems so slow. I was like, right. And, and my Horrifying. car at the time, she just took her foot off the brake because it wasn't. You don't want to slam on the brake, right? And like, and then it spun around like five times, and then just spun off the side. And they they didn't get hurt like as bad as they could have, but like the car. But I was oh. like. You just knew it was going to happen. I guarantee you, the inside of their pants got hurt. Oh, exactly. Yeah, I would have. I would not have lasted yeah. for that. Yeah. And then, and another time, crazy LA story because you have to think, like people don't know how to drive in LA. I don't know what it is. Like I'm in Santa Monica, and we're at a light. You know, it's one. It's a. Oh, I can't remember the intersection, but it's in Santa Monica. It's a pretty big one. We're about to turn on Lincoln or something, and like there's there's two lanes each. It's four lanes, two each way, uh, two two going this way, and like. You just hear, we're just kind of talking. You hear, you hear somebody uh, squirched on their brakes, right? Like, and then, like, we look up, and literally, this freaking Jeep just goes, like, it started flipping over. Holy moly. Landed on the tires. And the driver must have been high as fuck, just popped out the window. I was like, only in. Yeah, L-A. that's right. That's right. Only and yet, L-A. okay. And yet, I used to, I was doing a show and doing a production out on Long Island. For a couple of years, and I never saw accidents, and I never saw driving as insane. Well, that I mean, they don't believe the in stopping LIE. distance. I mean, the LIE is 
ludicrous. Hundred miles, hundred miles an hour, crazy snow, uh, and then and then it's not like oh well they know how the how you do it because like not the one day went by that I didn't see right. a serious accident. It's not either. Minnesota where they actually know to drive in snow. Like, yeah, yeah. It, It's just like yeah. oh I got snow tires or I have four wheel drive. No, maybe, you're an idiot. Maybe people are just dumb. Yeah, everywhere. <laughs> That's it. People are just dumb no matter where you go. Well, you know what did he say? Stupid is as stupid does, right? Exactly right. So, with truer lines were written. So. Um, UCLA, uh, your cheers was your first gig. Yeah, it was my first job. The thing how, is how that do you, how do you land? Well, like back then, it's like a little different because like TV, they ran out of material every day, right? Because somebody they did it and they needed more material, and um, shows like that have been going on. You know, I joined in the seventh season, I think so. It already had seven seasons and it was a successful show. And what they needed was they needed young blood, they needed new people, and so there there was. There was always a need for it, and you just had to figure out how to turn the dials so that you know you got open sesame, and um, and you know that's what going to film school did. So it taught me, okay, well here's what you do, you know you write a couple spec scripts and then you send them to agents that you find out by copying down the names of uh, writers on shows that you like, and then you call the Writers Guild and they tell you who those agents are, and so now you know the name of this agent. This agent represents people who are roughly at my level, right? Uh, and you just kind of think of it that way. You just think of it like you don't try to overthink it. I simply think that stuff works down too. If people want to break in, that is kind of how it works. Don't you're solving a problem for somebody. They want they don't not want you to be good. Everybody wants you to be good. Uh, you just have to make it easy for them. Um, and you know, every single one of those shows still today has a portion of the budget called the, the staff writer, which is a specific designation. It's not. You know, they're all writers on staff, but a staff writer, like capital S, capital W, is like the lowest level writer. You don't get a screen credit. Uh, and yeah, I think you get paid. I think we got paid less than the assistants. Um, but you do, you know, you do a 10-week gig, and if you like, you'd be on another 10 weeks, and then another 10 weeks, and then you become story editor, and then you work your way up. And the thing about Cheers was that all those people at the top, you know, they had already gone off to do their own things. And so there was, they, they needed to develop younger people to go and run the show eventually. And so we were there for a couple of years and then we sort of run, ran the show with two other guys uh, the last year and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was like, you know, people, oh my God, you were running this big show. Like, you you know, the show is running itself. I mean, all those actors and the, and the story, we you knew what a Cheers episode was supposed to be. Um, and that's what we really were, our, our job was to energetically kind of be lively with the show and take it in different directions and break the mold and to think fresh and to keep it renewed. Mm-hmm. Um, and which we did and we loved it. It was great. And then, you know, like I've never had an experience like that ever, ever since. I mean, not just the fact it was successful, but just the people I work with, the people I learned from, they were all really great. And they all still are remaining, they still really remain really, really great. Um, you know, I was like maybe two years ago, I sort of had lunch with Ted Danson and Mary Steenberger, who, who he wasn't married to then, and I didn't know, but uh, and he was just great, just like this, you know, like he's the nicest guy in the world. I've heard, I've heard, oh, ni- but also like he's super smart too, like he's nice, but he's also like he, you know, he's done it a long time. He's really good, so he understands why you want to have a good ensemble. He understands like wh- how how this person at the top sets the tone. He has no e- real ego, so he's perfectly happy to be a guest on your show or be a, a one of a large ensemble um you know he he you know for actors i would always say just study him study what he is on screen but also what he does not when he's when he's not on screen because that that is a guide you know Mm. 
Mm. Anyway, that so it was great. It was lo- loads of fun. I mean, it's incredibly, you know, it was, it was it was that was the graduate school that I didn't go to. Right. So what was it like? What's it like being at like the Emmys or the Golden Globes, and you're sitting there and you got your tuxedo yeah. and you're nominated? What's what's that like? Man? Well, you know, it's hard because you like you it, we we were I really there three or four four times, um, and you kind of know it if it's your year or not. Mm. And you kind of know, like, because it's all very kind of political, right? Um, and so you know when it's not your year. But when you think it's your, definitely your year and you don't get it, you're like, well, that's ridiculous. That sucks. That's horrible. <laughs> and so there's these little, there are always little rivalries, you know, uh, these shows, like the staffs of one show will like, I don't know why anyone likes that show. <laughs> and they'll like, it's usually the other show's perfectly good. Um, and I think when we joined the staff, like the, for some reason they decided they didn't like Murphy Brown, the show Murphy Brown. Oh. Uh, which was a big hit that back yeah. then. It was a perfectly good show. Yeah. And they, I didn't like it. So like that was the one you, you're not supposed to like. Can you believe it? Uh, <laughs> that what they did last night. Um, and I'm sure there are people who do that for us too. Uh, and then and then eventually those people would win Emmys. They'd be, oh, I can't believe. Well, you know why they got the Emmy because of <laughs> blah, 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 something like that. Um, but the truth is that these 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 words now mean less. I mean, they, they mean less than anything. The weird thing about it is that they, Emmys mean less now because there's so many other ones. But the Golden Globes, mm-hmm. people – I mean, this is the – dates me as an old-timer. People think of the Golden Globes. They, they, they're like, oh, the Golden Globes. Whereas when I was like it, right, like the Golden Globes was a total racket. I was like, are you kidding me? It's like eight Serbian dudes like who are running this thing. It's like a complete <laughs> – complete scam and like it's all the the fixes in it's not even was not even when i started it was not even broadcast nationally it was just on channel five dick clark owned it and put ah. it on channel five people watch it nobody knew who's going to show up the only reason they got anybody to show up at all was that they gave there was free wine at the table see but cash bar cash bar see but wine this is this yeah. is why this yeah. podcast is I get people to bring wine. Yeah, no, no. this is this is open really nice. Have it's some, really, this is, it's really open up really nicely in a glass. Actually, it's. I'm going to be useless for my. Wouldn't have decanted uh, this one because this 7 is... p.m. Uh, call, but that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. Maybe I'll be really good for it. Yeah, actually, you'll be, you'll be, you'll be. No, it's really like it's nice. Like this is like the, this is my favorite Bordeaux. My sort of go to, um, um, any Santa Steph. I, that's kind of what I like. It's, it's Let me not do some math. Too... 98, 20. So this is 20 and 18. 24 years old. Yeah. Um, no, it's so good. Right? Color. It's beautiful. And, you know, and you got, it's like cherry leathery. Yeah. You know, the doo doo's gone. Well, it always comes back. Yeah, you know, it does. It always comes back to that. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, it's like nice and tight, too. Yeah. Like, you can kind of. Mm. As the tannins, as they say. Yes, yes. Um, but it's a little bit okay. I think I guess it's a, also a little bit soft and faded. So yeah, that, no, I like I like the plushness. It is. Yeah. It has a nice little soft mouthfeel to it. I mean, I feel like my own like middle brow tastes. I mean, if I was eating, I would love it. If it was a little colder, I'd love it. Um, I love it, but it's like it's a it probably. <clears throat> it's about five degrees too warm. Yeah, and um, this would go great with uh, what would you what would you pair with this? I would do like I just simple like like simple grilled meat, roasted meat, roast. Uh, I, I do chicken with this. I don't. I mean, I think actually, chicken it, with it, red it, wine's delicious. I'm trying to remember what the but it's soft like a merlot, so you could yeah. totally do a chicken with it. Yeah, yeah. The thing about it is, I feel like it's either because uh, of the my the 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 year or two of like not the perfect storage, 
But that doesn't really change I don't, it. I mean, I'm looking at your cork. I'm looking yeah. at the color on it. I mean, I did use the Duran just because I didn't want to mess it up, and I almost and I didn't. It looks pretty it, good, actually. It looks very good. Yeah. So you did a good job. Um, I just feel like it. It. it um, it's not quite as the quite quite the extracting extracted flavor I like. Yeah. And that could just be because Santa Staff is a little mellower. It is. Um, when you get a when you get a Bordeaux that that has that California extraction and it's like only thirteen five like holy shit then you get wine yeah. like I got wine when I first time I had a, 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 a eighty six Mouton I was like this yeah. is from France whoa yeah it tastes like it's from Saint Helena <laughs> exactly yeah, <right>. yeah. <laughs> and you love that and that's why they've bought mm-hmm. up all this land in Napa because you know yeah and they who can doesn't do stuff. who doesn't like yeah and they could do nice, stuff to it like you know in Napa you can do wine. Stuff. You can irrigate. You can you know play around. Like the, the, Bordeaux, the Bordeaux rules are really strict, but but I have a friend who's like super aristocratic Frenchman, um, whose name is like the most French name ever, Hubert, <laughs> and uh, and you know he's like fame you know old family, and um, they go hunting all the time, and uh, he was like he once turned to me and said, uh, "Je suis très Saint Estef moi," which means I am very Saint Estef. It's like which a weird thing to say, but. What he meant was like his. That's him. Like that. That's old France. Like not showy. We're not. It's not fancy. I mean, it's fancy, but it's not like oh, Mouton or something or Petrus or something. No, no. This is like for you know respectable aristocratic thing. And I you know can kind of taste it. That's good. Yeah. And I remember when I first got in the wine business in '97, the garage east were coming up, right? Mm-hmm. So so even you know Petrus is you know. The most expensive Merlot in the world, but like then there were guys who were like, "We're we're not really going to kind of find your rules, right?" And they, they and they was like garagiste. They made the wine in the garage, but right. they were getting hundred points from Parker and like, good wine, and too. they were good. They were like, I was like, damn, they weren't messing around with like all this earthiness. I read this great <laughs> story, and I can't, I'm, I'm not prepared, so I could, I don't know the names of these varietals, but so French, a young French, nerdy uh, agriculture graduate student. Mm-hmm. Uh, is like hiking, you know, he's probably one of those like really irritating, you know, you've seen these really irritating people we have here, like, but he's hiking around in his little shorts and his backpack, you know, like you, like a little nerd. And, uh, and he sees in a little copse, like a little like area, like four trees or something, this grapevine. Mm-hmm. And I think he's like in, uh, he's not quite on the West Coast, so he's not like in, in Bordeaux. He's maybe in south of, of the Burgundy or maybe just, just, just uh, west of Burgundy. And uh, and he sees a little grapevine, and he goes and goes, oh, I gotta check this the grapes out, which he didn't couldn't identify. And so he took some samples, and he went back, and he like identified it. It's like it's a it's a varietal that doesn't exist. It has not been a varietal for a thousand years. Mm-hmm. There are uh, um, accounts of that wine, but there's no there are no grapes because of course they did you know as everybody does they sort of focused on the things that were selling. And then he decided he was going to look for all the other weird little varietals in France. And they're doing it, of course, everywhere else. Right. But they, in France, they tended to be a little bit more like, no, this is what we, we know what we're doing. But I guess the French government decided, no, we got to like branch out. So they funded this huge plan. And I think we're like 10 years away from getting these incredibly mind-blowing, crazy old uh, like tastes from uh, many years ago wines – from France, and that'd be that's gonna be awesome. Yeah, um, it's climate change, so they've they've been adapting. Yeah, know? I guess. Yeah, right, right. <clears throat> you know, they're they're growing, um, playing with Albarino now in Bordeaux. You can play Albarino. <laughs> really? Wow. Uh, uh, Tempranillo, Tintacao. They're they're playing with some Jura. That's because, great. Yeah, because you know great. it kills them. Yeah, it does kill <laughs> like, them. Yeah, right. uh, <laughs> you know, we got to take a quick break, Rob. Uh, we'll be right back in a second. All right, are you ready for another great distributor to look for when shopping for fine wines and spirits? 
Let me tell you about Independence Wine and Spirits, or IWS. IWS is one of the hot, up-and-coming distributors of fine wines and spirits headquartered in New York City. Like Taub Family Selections, IWS is owned by the Taub family, who have re-entered the New York wholesale market, bringing the family back to its roots in distribution, where they held court from 1951 through 2004. IWS is proud to represent an exceptional portfolio of high-quality, terroir-centric, and historic producers from around the world, including Italy and France, where they have an exciting roster of burgeoning Vinrolins from Burgundy that are coming your way soon. They also have domestic producers such as La Coya, Cardinale, Staglin, El Molino, and many more. To learn more about IWS, go to independencewine.com. Okay, we're back with Rob. Long and um, yeah, it's a great conversation. He not only is a great writer, but he's a great conversationalist. Oh, you can tell. You. you can tell. Um, so <clears throat> after Cheers, you did like Big Wave Dave, Good Company, George bunch and Leo, a bunch of them. Uh, any anything notable that stands out? Like you said earlier, Cheers was a graduate school you didn't go to, but anything right. you learned during that time period? Of well, your I mean, career? look, look, what you learn is that you have uh, shows that are on, shows that are off, and you have shows that work and shows that don't. And you have shows that f- find, you know, uh, 20 million viewers, but that was when they needed 25 million or uh, 12 million when they needed 13 million. Um, but you also le- redefine success is like, did we have fun? Did we do two seasons or three seasons or four seasons of a show? Uh, did, was the cast, was it was the casting right? Was, did, 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 we, did we luck out? Like it's lightning in a bottle. And so some of them you, like you, 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 you care about all of them because you have to care about it to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when you're in the middle of something, it's like childbirth. They always say, like, the minute this painful childbirth experience is over, some hormonal thing happens to women who give birth that they forget how painful it was. True. Yep, there you go. And they're like, oh, yeah, I'll just go right back and do it. And you're like, well, you were just screaming obscenities. <laughs> and, like, and, 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 and it's just, you just to forget. And I think because you have to love it to do it. Three and times? Three. Holy moly. Oh, my God. Wow, good three. For you. Damn. Good. <laughs> uh, so I don't know. So it's like, like like you love it, and so but then in uh, in the uh, as time change passes, you can look back and say, okay, okay, this one this show we did got canceled, and you know what? It, it I get it. Yeah, it, it, it hadn't worked. Yeah, yeah. And this other one, uh, this was a good one, and this was perfect, and this is what just what we wanted to do. So, and that, I mean, I've had the experience where I've done pilots where I thought, okay, this. This is going to be great, and then you see it later. You're like, well, what did I do? What? What's and it's, it's, what's missing is it's not something a mistake that you made. Um, it could just be. It, look, these things are like magic, and that sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. Look, uh, they did the Frasier pilot. I was there for that, um, and uh, Lisa Kudrow was in it, the pilot, and she played uh, basically who the part that Perry Gilpin ended up playing, Roz. Yeah, okay. And uh, she was there for the first week, uh, the first couple of days. And they all decided, oh, you know, best we, thing happened to her. Yeah, yeah, Lisa <laughs> she went to yeah right. She's not. She's not right. <laughs> she wasn't Ross. So they uh, they fired her, and uh, she was very good friends with a friend of mine. And she just sat. She came over to their house, and she sat on their living room floor, and she cried and cried and cried, and said, "I'm out. I'm done. I do not want to do this anymore. Why would I want to do this? Um, I'm going home." And they convinced her to just one more year. And a year later, she was in Friends. But yeah. the the thing about it is like, okay. Maybe you, maybe you. Uh, I don't know if I had Lisa. If, if I was doing a pilot and Lisa, it was had been my decision. I would have said, "Well, Lisa Kudrow is really great and funny, and you have her. So why don't you change the part so that she can do it and mm. just alter it for mm-hmm. Lisa Kudrow because she's so good." 
that's kind of what I would have said. Mm-hmm. But then that would have like, think of the sliding doors thing. That would have a ripple effect on what Imagine Friends without Lisa Kudrow. Like, would it have worked? Wow. It's, it's, you don't know. So wow. all these weird serendipitous things, it's like show business. You just can't tell. That's crazy. I'm, thanks for sharing that. That's, that's, that's interesting because it's so true, right? Like, because, you know, Frasier and Niles and they were snooty and right. like, Roz, not being snooty, but being British, you know, kind of, anyway. That's kind and, of... And Fraser's dad, the great actor John Mahoney, yeah. um, he had never, ever wanted to do TV, never wanted to do comedy. He just thought it was dumb. He was a stage actor, and he's really good. And we did, the year before, the last year of Cheers, we did an episode, and uh, and we had an older character, older guy, he was a guest star, and he played like an old ad salesman, old ad writer, like an old jingle writer. And um, we had a guy, an older actor, play the part for the whole week, and then we were going to shoot the shoot night. Um, he just had like this weird anxiety panic attack and he just drove home and we we're like, oh, that's not good because now we can't shoot the show. And, and so we needed to replace that part. So, uh, the casting director was, uh, um, this incredibly just brilliant, um, our casting director was just great. Jeff Goldberg. He, um, he said, well, look, I'm going to call John Mahoney who I had seen on Broadway in House of Blue Leaves. And he said, I'm going to call him. He probably won't do it because he hates this stuff. But you know, we're going to pay him a lot of money because we really need him. And, you know, it's cheers. He'll, he might do it. So Mahoney says yes. He comes out, never done half hour before, and uh, stands there. And, uh, you know, we have a great week. He's like, he's John Mahoney. He's like, he's so great. And he, like, was super respectful during the whole pro- the rehearsal process, which I, we always loved. But he'd like, oh, I, I mean, let me do this one more time. So I, I did it wrong. I'm like, well, actually, it was pretty good. Like, whatever. He, he's great. Um, and then, like, the audience loved him. And I'm standing next to him. And say, hey, would you ever do this? Would you ever come and do this? He goes, ah, no, I probably, well, I mean, it was something like this. Hmm. And uh, a year later, he's Frazier's dad. Um, now, the guys who created Frazier saw him on the sh- series, saw him on the show, mm-hmm. uh, and they knew, and it's the same, by the way, the same casting director, uh, and they knew that he was technically interested, he wasn't going to say no. So all those things just like, that's just what if he had said, yeah, you know, I didn't really like the the hotel. <laughs> I prefer, I don't know, I, I don't like, we broke the seal on it. So he, he thought, okay, I'll do, I can do what I did at Cheers on this new show called Frasier 22 times, 26 times. I guess we do 26 episodes a year. And um, before you knew it, there he was. Yeah. Wow. So this like these weird, you know, would it have worked with somebody else? Maybe, I don't know. People don't, that's what, like, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. So that's so cool. Um <clears throat> let's shift gears a little bit um so you you've had a lot of writing opportunities uh, clearly a prolific writer um contributor to the national review um since 1993 yeah so that's like just six years out of school and you're working in hollywood i mean that's amazing um you have published three books conversations with my agent i'm have to get these set up joke set up joke and and uh bigly donald trump in verse yeah which sounds quite funny talk about the inspiration behind that last book well the last one like a a friend of mine runs a big publishing company and called me up he thought like because trump's kind of funny and he says weird stuff and if you look at his speeches they seem like they're weird kind of like modern poetry in a way (laughs) and uh so um so I thought, well, let me think about that. So, if you, and if you, and the rule was that you can, anything he said had to be in the order he said it. Yeah. Uh, and we couldn't editorialize. It had to be like what he said. And, um, and it seemed kind of funny at a certain point. It was kind of funny. Like it actually kind of worked. 
And then we added like little editor's notes to it to make it seem like it was a real scholarly work, like a scholarly <laughs> effort on him. And the, the only problem with the book was that the people who hated Trump, of which there were many, um, and which I'm, you know, I have a, <laughs> I'm definitely part of that group. Uh, they just thought he's just too awful to make fun of. You can't make fun of somebody that terrible. Uh, and I think the New Yorker magazine like took me to task and said I was I was guilty of something they called jocular sanctioning, which I really just didn't even know wow. what that meant. Which means that you're not allowed to make fun of somebody who's, who's just so beyond bad. the pale. Yeah. And my point, my rule is like, no, that you're allowed to make fun of anybody all the time. And actually, making fun of people is sort of like what you I mean. I kept saying to some of my friend of mine who was who believed in the jocular sanctioning things, like, well, he is the president. He won. So. Nothing you do is going to change that for another four years. So, what are you going to do? You're going to have to make fun of him. That's all you. That's what. That's the power you have. I mean, but that's what comedians do. No matter who the president is, he's going to get roasted. Right. Right. Uh, And this one was like, oh my god, you can't roast him. And uh, and then the people who love Trump thought, how dare you make fun of this man? He is a great poet. This is the Messiah. He He is a great Messiah. Uh, And so they were the so people who hated him. Hated the book, and the people who loved him hated the book. So the result was that nobody bought yeah, the book. Yeah, he's so polarizing that yeah. people were like, I'm not going to. Yeah, yeah, it has to be. It's just, are you making fun? I mean, I think I did a talk radio <laughs> thing when the book was published. Are you making fun of the president? Like, yes, I am. Like, I, like I'm like i not a lot. Who are you people? Like, yeah, I mean, you can make fun of the president, even the one you like. Jimmy Carter, the, the peanut jokes. Yeah. I mean, it just on and on and on. Right. Like I mean, even a popular one, you can make yeah, fun of. Yeah, I mean, people made fun of Barack Obama. <laughs> yeah, you know, people made fun of Barack Obama because he was kind of full of himself. Yeah. <laughs> and he, it, it, it wasn't funny jokes because they was true. And he, he kind of looked like Alfred E. Newman yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's got... And super uptight. <laughs> like Obama's like super uptight. He would eat apparently every night his snack. This is weird. This is weird stuff. Six almonds. Not seven almonds and not five almonds. Six almonds and two Newports. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, there was a lot of that. I, you know, I, we, I, I wish love we, him, but I'm going to make fun of him. Yeah, right. <laughs> he smoked Newports. So those are ghetto-ass cigarettes, bro. Really? Newport is, yo, ugh. There's a great, uh, <laughs> I think it was near the end, maybe the last year. Newports are so bad, the, the police might kill you for something loose. That's all I'm going to say about really? it. Really? <laughs> See, I made a joke. People are yeah. like, oh, he oh made you can't make a joke about that. can't make a joke like that. He was selling Lucy's and he, they were Newports. There's no doubt in my mind. Really? Or Cools. Well, uh, Cools, I, yeah, Cools, I agree. Cools from the 70s. Yeah. Newports came on in the 80s. <laughs> wow. Did you smoke? Only in law school. Oh, well, oh I, start, I started in law school and then I smoked for like eight years and I quit after I got out. But yeah. Yeah, you're done. Yeah. yeah. Like my girlfriend smoked, which means I had to smoke because I was going to kiss her. So. Right. You're smoking anyway. Yeah. Uh, uh, there was a great la- a video that um, Obama did, I think it was last year, his last year, with uh, John Boehner, who was the – then that had been the Speaker of the House and then was out by that time. And it's really just funny. It's just Boehner like just making fun of him saying, uh, I-, I can do everything and you, can- and you can't. And Boehner, of course, was a famous smoker and he sort of lit up a cigarette and smoked it like in front of Obama and said, I can do this. You can't. <laughs> it was so great. Obama was like, I, just, oh, I cannot wait to be out of this exactly. office so I can stand in my backyard like a person exactly. and have a cigarette like a grown-up man. Exactly. Like, a, like I, don't, you know, I don't smoke. I smoke a cigar every now and then. But um, – I see. I don't know. This is like probably off topic, but I see. It's all topic. Yeah, here. great. It's all I topic. see people vaping. Yeah, and I'm like, just smoke a cigarette. Yeah, no, I'm like, I, I appreciate when I see. This is sound fucked up, but I appreciate when I see someone who I know is clearly in their twenties smoking a cigarette. I'm like, yeah, 
You know what? You're cool. Take that's why people start smoking because we think it's cool. Yeah, exactly. Because it is. All right, it is cool. It'll kill you, but it is fucking cool. Yeah, right. No, that's really true. Like you know, so don't, like vaping's not cool, but if you're here twenty, you like you go buy a pack and you pack it down. Oh, oh yeah, ritual. all that. Oh yeah, I and love that. And you a young person with the with remember people with the Zippo and mm-hmm. they flip it. It was cool as shit. And now it's like, oh, can I? I just plug. Yeah, you exactly. Right. You can I just plug my thing into your USB yeah, port to, to charge the, the USB computer. port? So I can go vape. It's a, it's apple cinnamon flavor. Like, oh my god, come on! And I'm like, and then those cheap vaporizers, they put out more smoke uh, than a cigarette. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Just smoke a cigarette, and then quit. You know, exactly. Then quit. Man, up, but you're right. Quit. It was the. It's the and I think, but, but just to bring it back to this topic, right? I think it's also the thing that some people get obsessed with about wine is the stuff around it yeah. and all the fancy pants, but. Like there was something great about the this the process of like the tapping the cigarette and you put it around. Yeah, here, here. Yeah. I mean there's a, I mean there's there's rituals that go with certain yeah. these things and and they're all cool. Now let's this let's switch gears again. Uh, fast forward to um, you now have this thing called the Ricochet Podcast Network. So like you're not messing around. Like you've done TV, you write books, you write political commentary, you 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 do. Um, uh, uh, I don't want to say charity, humanitarian work. You know, you give back. Sure, sure. Um, and then, like, how'd you get into podcast network? Well, like, I just feel. I mean, uh, uh, we, we tried to launch this website one, uh, years and years ago, and a friend of mine said, "Well, you know, you should do what these guys did, who launched a website called Gadget G D G T." And they, as they were launching it, they they started a podcast. This is like 2008, 2009. Mm-hmm. So this is like kind of before podcast. But podcast it, broke. I remember I was going to start a podcast in 2003 when I first heard about it, but yeah. I didn't. And then they they kind of faded. Like no one like no one got it. And then oh wait, they started becoming. Cause I think like Tim Ferriss started. There's certain people yeah, started this. Right. Like Rogan started in '09. So it was yeah. a renaissance after like this four or five year period of, of dormancy. And they so weren't like they weren't they weren't big audiences, but they, you could build a bunch of people would listen to you, and then they would. So when you're launching a product, they would like they would go and try it. And that's what we started doing, just a conversation. And um, and then other people wanted to join in. Other people want to have their own. And we found it's really easy to do, ask interesting people to do one. Um, and uh, and I think it was right around the time that you know tr- uh, we were everyone was time shifting their TV, so people were like streaming more or even TiVoing like you know in the old days. So no one really believed in the schedule anymore, except for the a certain group of people who had to commute. So people were commuting to work every day. And I was on public radio in L.A., so I know, like, okay. like, in the morning, they were listening to the news. In the evening, on the way home, they were either listening to the news uh, or sports radio. Uh, and that was huge. And then just gradually, that terrestrial radio kind of faded away because people were like, well, I have my phone in my car. I'm going to listen to a podcast. Mm-hmm. And places like um, – like, uh, National Public Radio discovered that they uh, – I think they were kind of like cowardly, but they have a couple great titles that were huge on podcasts. So 2008, mm-hmm. Financial Collapse, uh, um, uh, Alex Kestenbaum and um, Adam Davison start this thing called um, Planet Money, which is a podcast still there. Now, Planet Money was designed to be a, a, a radio show, but the – powers that be at public radio, I, from what I understand, were like, I don't know about this. I don't know about this. What is this? And so they just decided to make it a podcast and kind of created a whole podcast category. Mm. Um, and so I, you know, that it's, it's an interesting, it's, and as you know, like we, we're having a conversation now and people are listening that they couldn't get anywhere else. Right. Because we would be interrupted nine times or whatever, you know, like the, there is a hunger for people when they're doing something else, right? Driving, walking, whatever, to listen to conversations. Um, which they 
which is not the same as video because video is very bossy. You got to right. sit and watch video. <clears throat> right. You we can't shoot drive. video, which I upload only season one, um, which I got to get on YouTube. But the, the beauty, like you said, it's, it's audio, right? So it's um, <clears throat> hands busy, mind free time. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Walking on the treadmill, my right. wife listens to podcasts, doesn't listen to mine, but um, <laughs> she's got you for free. Anyway, yeah, exactly. So, exactly, she's got it for free, yeah. and she doesn't think I'm funny or interesting at all. That's not true. I mean, she doesn't think I'm funny, she doesn't think I'm interesting. Let's put it that way. <laughs> but she can turn and ask you for free anything she wants, she doesn't have to like, right? But, like, where else am I going to hear a conversation between me and you, right? Right. Uh, right, like, but here, and that's the beauty of podcasts, right? Um, Four to five million downloads a month, like you've grown this. So you must have some very interesting people on your network. Yeah, or you know, or just you have an audience out there, and they just uh, once you find an audience, you just serve them. Yeah, and uh, they kind of tell you what's good. The great thing about podcasts is when you when they fail, they they fail for free. It's not like a TV show. TV show, and I've had a you know one season of a TV show is like fifty million dollars, and it doesn't work. It's like okay, well that's fifty million dollars. Try something else. A podcast is like oh you know well. Try something else. Yeah, it's become the way. Have you seen this? Because I've seen this with my production team, because they've all worked in TV. That podcasts are a way to uh, do your pilots cheaper. Yeah. You, you know, you do your concept on. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. and then uh, uh, what was one of the podcasts? Uh, a lot of the crime ones. Yeah, all the, the crime ones are big. Yeah, yeah. Are huge. Although I hear people doing it for like scripted stuff. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. People are actually doing radio drama, Like you yeah. go on backstage and they're like looking for people. Right. To do a role for a podcast, and so they can go pitch yeah. it, right? They're like this had this many viewers, and you know this is a yeah, plot, and right. it, it only costs us a fraction to do it. And you know, oh, that's the story. I get it. Yeah, um, but you have started your own weekly podcast. Um, now we're here drinking a beautiful bottle of Santa Steph. Yeah, that's opening up. It's nicely. A really, really good. Yeah, we'll um, finish it though before it's a. Yeah, yeah, we will. We'll, that's like that's yeah. life. Yeah, um, martini Dr- shot. Yeah. Um, what is the the concept behind Martini? Well, Shot? a Martini Shot is like an old show business um, uh, name for the last shot of the day. So the last shot of the day is called a Martini Shot because when you're done, you get to have your Martini. Uh, and there's one the shot before the Martini Shot, just you, you, for show business lore, is called the Abbey Singer because years ago there was a first AD, first assistant director, who called named Abbey Singer, and he called the Martini Shot. But he was wrong. There was one more shot left. Uh, that's, and, so they clowned him. Like, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they're mad at him because like everyone's like, oh, this is a martini shot. It's great. And then they had to go, oh, I'm sorry. No, actually, uh, we have one more. Don't break. And they're like, you know, this is like, you know. Uh, uh, so I started doing it on, on on the local public radio station in LA, KCRW. And it was a four-minute commentary. KCR, he just said that KCRW is iconic. Yeah. LA. Yeah, yeah. Right. I love that station. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. Um, and so I would do this four-minute commentary. I would just tell stories. And originally they wanted me to like do <laughs> – so funny. It's not the kind of handmade radio. Um, they wanted me to do uh, uh, like roundup of new, uh, entertainment industry news. And I was like, I'm not doing that. That sounds like hard work. Why don't I just go and tell funny little stories about show business? There you go. And so I did like four of them. And they went, okay, all right. I, we see what you're doing. So I just did those for – I did them for 16 years. Damn. Um and uh, and now and then then you know it was like, I mean it was it was, the, it was COVID and I was living here and I don't know there was also kind of a sense I think from them that sixteen years is a long time for one person to own four minutes of our radio that's a lot that's a lot uh, it was time to go somewhere else and, and, <laughs> so I don't really know who I don't think anybody replaced me not certainly not doing that but they kind of reshuffled everything and I was like well I still want to do it so I'm I'm just podcasting it I'm basically doing just what I did. Just four-minute little stories, and some of them are uh, a little inside baseball, and some of them are not at all. 
What's what's one of your funniest inside stories that you have that you'll share with us? Well, I mean, they all, a lot of them come from my book or, 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 or inspired by the book, which is really just about... This is one with your agent? Or yeah. Or Seth, okay. yeah, right. me? yeah. Okay. Uh, the, uh, those both are pretty much the same book, by the way. Uh, it's kind of a ripoff. You had to buy them both together. That's what we, dis- we discovered. It's a package um, deal. Yeah, it's a package deal. Um, uh, mostly, I mean, mostly it's just like with stuff that happens. Like you'll have an idea and then it'll go somewhere else or, uh, you know, you'll, you'll learn. I mean... I, I, there's one a story I always tell, which is when um, when I first started working uh, at Paramount, I was like, you know, you're a staff writer, so we're kind of low on the total boat. We didn't park on the lot. We parked at the parking structure across the street because we weren't at a certain level. But we were kind of status level high, so we didn't have to start work until about 1030. So we came to the – we came to work later than anyone else. Mm. And so all the sort of what they call below-the-line people that, you know – tech people and all that stuff and construction workers and all those people um, they had they came in much earlier but that meant that they got to park on the first second third fourth floor and we had to park on the fifth floor which meant I had to walk all the way down but it was a like, cooler because I was like well I mean I came in at 10:30 man yeah I mean I'm very reason, reason I, when I wanted I would really park on the eighth floor to come in at yeah right <laughs> so uh, what I discovered is you I walked down every day every single day there was an old DeLorean which is that old car, like a kind of a, a very cool car for like Google six it, minutes. Yeah, watch Back yeah. to the Future. Yeah, Back to the Future. But the but, future. but actually, there's a documentary. It's a crazy yeah. car. It's a crazy story. John DeLorean was a was literally a gangster. <laughs> yeah, it's a crazy story. And there's this old dusty DeLorean there, uh, and then so 1990. So the the car itself was like 12 years old, um, but it was the kind of car that you would buy. When you first in LA, especially when you first had money, right? And so whoever bought that car had money that one year. That the DeLoreans are big, and I so <laughs> and we went and we checked his license plate, and his license plate was Alf A L F Writer R I T R. So his guy wrote Alf. His guy wrote for Alf for yeah, Alf, for I Alf. think. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so he got some money writing for the show, to, uh, the sitcom called Alf, which is about a, a, a kind of a Muppet alien. Yeah, it was a Muppet alien. Um, and and then he said, I'm you know I'm I'm gonna hit it big, so I'm gonna buy a DeLorean because I am a big shot. But then you know stuff happens in show business, and like he didn't quite he was like on level he was on the second f- level, which meant he had to get in early. <laughs> so whatever he was doing, it was not at that level. And I just always and it was a really good it's really good when you're starting out to walk down the stairs and see the DeLorean with Alf Rider there and realize okay. You just and you to, just learn to love your had Subaru. Had the vanity plate, man. Yeah, the vanity like, plate. Like, yeah, yeah. He should have yeah. ditched the vanity plate at that point. Yeah. Just turn it in. Just yeah. give me like, you know, AE one, two, three, four. Right. <laughs> but these are these are good lessons. Like you, there's lessons everywhere. You just got to look for them. <laughs> Alf writer. Alf writer. Not even like. No, no, it was A L F W R T R. No, I think it's just A L F space R I T R. Oh, wasn't even, you know. He didn't get the W in there. I don't think he could have. Well, maybe he could have. I don't know. Uh, I don't, I'm trying to think how many vanity plates. Anyway, I, I digress. We're talking about vanity plates. Um, I just want this just popped in my head. Reality TV as an actual TV writer. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. Like, uh, it, it kind of pushed everything aside for a while because um, it's cheap. I, I think there was a period where no one – would ever do it because they just wouldn't imagine that actual people would debase themselves and humiliate themselves quite the way they do on reality TV. And then, I mean, it's one thing, I think, the competition shows I sort of get, like Survivor, I get it. Like, you're, you gotta survive, right? 
uh, the cooking shows. I get that. You're going to cook. The ones where they just follow you around while you scream at your fake friends at in restaurants, <laughs> I, and, and like, to, that's weird to me. That's like – that's, I think, a little bit like um, they find these ambulatory psychotics, like people who are really not well, and um, put them on TV. Yeah, I mean, I watched this thing on Vice about the dark side of '90s, and you know, Jerry Springer is kind of like the father of reality TV. Like, right. just get people right. to act like a fucking fool on TV. Right. Right. And like you said, like I was, when I walk into the studio. There's like the ultimate girl strip. So they're taking all these, all the crazy women from the Real Housewives and they're taking them on a vacation together. That's gonna be a hoot. What's that? Like, why, why, <laughs> why would you ever? Why would you want to be within 100 miles of that? And, and the idea is like, why would you ever do that? Like, why they come to you and say, "Listen, we want you to be on the Real Housewives of whatever." I don't give a shit. You know, it's gonna be horrible. The answer is no. Right. I would be actually insulted. Right. Like, right. what kind of person do you think I am? Right. Like, I'll, right. I'll let you do that right. to me. Right. right. No way. <laughs> and like, they're always like throwing wine at each other. Have exactly. you noticed that? They're always yes. like, yep. "How dare you throwing the, wine?" Exactly. Like, like some '40s cliche, like throwing right. the wine, a glass of wine in your face. I'm also and... drinking a lot of wine too. Oh, they're lit. Yeah. And they got and and they got. Drugs like they're on, oh, tranquilly and wild. Oh, it's like, like you could yeah. tell they're there. It's, I just don't understand how you why. And not, but they're so immensely popular. It's crazy. If you walk, uh, like the uh, uh, the little the bodega area where I get uh, sometimes get my lottery tickets and my cigars because they sell them on Sixth Avenue. Um, there's like a wall, and it's the it's like People magazine and the other celebrity magazines, and the I don't know any of the people. All the people on the cover are not. Famous for anything other no, than they I know. were just like, I know. well, Brandon is marrying Denisa from the thing. I'm like, I don't know who, what are they like? Right. They're just on a reality show about themselves. Yeah. I am amazed. Like, I look at the content Darcy and Stacy, two crazy chicks from Middletown, Connecticut. I'm like, why do they have a show? Man? They have a show. Yeah. They have a show. And it's a little, I don't know. Like, the 90 I'm, day life, that little guy with no neck who's like trying to date. And they're yeah. all uh, like, and then, and, and, and there's more of them because there's all these streaming networks that have to right. be on Twitter. Have it. It's cheap. So you, so you just got to like, oh, we got what can we do for program? What can we do for program? What's cheap? What can we yeah. do? And then like the, 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 the two sisters or brother and sister, or then a brother and sister, two sisters or mother and sister. And they're like 9,000 pounds. Yeah, like my my nine thousand pound life. That's I'm, what it is. They, I mean, I'm, or, nine thousand pounds. It's like my thousand pound life, or the two. But I'm like, first of all, w- are we helping these people? This is this is sad. Like, right. you you can't make fun of a president, but you can parade people who have illness, mental illness, and and actually debilitating um, obesity, and, yeah. and we and that's entertainment. Yeah, and it's all like, oh, it's always like cloaked in this horrible thing. Like, well, no, it's really therapy. Right. Yeah, there's a doctor. I'm like, right. I don't right. know. It sounds yeah. ex- exploitative, right. like exactly. carnival you stuff. You don't get, first of all, no one fucking ever gets fixed. It's <laughs> definitely not going to happen in one season. Yeah, they got it on TV, <laughs> yeah. that's for sure. Because they cried. Yeah. I, my mother beat me. Right. Thanks, Doc. Well, my mom beat me. I'm fine. <laughs> Although you do get a sense, like, just how much crazy there is. I mean, uh, I used to watch the hoarder shows, the hoarders. Oh, those are Because those terrifying. are sort of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also kind of like, you can tell, this little map of the human brain they're building, you know, building a little tomb for themselves. Right. Uh, and um, there's always that moment where they go, okay, we're going to come and clean this out, right? You're okay with that. And they go, yes, I'm fine. I can't wait. I want to be free. And then like within five minutes of taking their stuff and dragging it on the lawn, they're freaking out. Like, right. no, you can't take, those are my plastic bags. <laughs> like, all right. 
You know, and I, that's I, that's also part of the the, the exercise I, I, of drinking I, I the wine. I cleaned all those used straws. Yeah, right. They're right. sterilized. No, I might need those. <laughs> yeah, but that is kind of the thing you do when you when you start saving wine. It's you're like, okay, I gotta have, I gotta keep well, this. Well, yeah, like I'm like. I'm not. I'm not that guy. I'm like. I'm like. It's Tuesday. It's Turley Tuesday. It's Turtle. I'm like. No. Oh, wow. That's good. That's a good Tuesday. Exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about wine. Like, when did you start getting into wine? And like, what? What? Like, when did you start developing your your taste for wine and your collection for wine? Well, I started like you know like my parents drank wine okay. at every meal, and we were in Europe. I drank. I mean, I was too young, but everyone was drinking wine, and there was a ritual to it, which I thought was kind of cool. Um. And then we moved to Northern California as a family. There was like there was also now there was wine country. Yep. So that was a thing that people did, uh, and it wasn't quite the way it is now. It was much more sort of low key. But there were winemakers like Jack Cakebread yeah. was a who, fine winemaker. Uh, I think the late Jack Cakebread. I think um, uh, was a car mechanic in Oakland. He like fixed you know English cars. Yeah. Uh, and so everybody had a kind you know Warren Wernarski from. Stag's Leap. He was a uh, uh, philosophy professor at the University right. of Chicago. Like they're all like these are all people who were like Montalena. He was a lawyer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They all had other things going on, right? And 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 like they were like those some of those like unless they were a farmer family, they were like shit. I, I don't know if I can afford to keep right, doing this. Right, right, right. Like, they were like pioneers. Yeah, and you got to pay rent on everything, right. so you got to pay, right? So, um, so that's kind of when I started drinking California wine. Okay, and then in college, uh, you know, you start like drinking wine. Uh, because if you, it's cheaper in a lot of ways, some ways, um, and so uh, you know we discovered white Zinfandel, which was delicious. In defense of yeah. white Zinfandel, was delicious because you seem classier with the girls, and those Colorossi, that hearty Burgundy. Oh yeah, that was like that Not was like eighty percent old vine Zinfandel. Sure, it was a gallon of wine, like. They they up and down the, the, that, the, that, that's up what and down it, the central coast, not the central coast, the uh, central valley. Yeah, it was it was old vines in, and. And Hardy Burgundy and White Zinfandel kept the California wine industry yeah. alive to where we are today. Where Sutter we have Home. Wine. Sutter Home. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Sutter Now <laughs> you own by – Yeah, now owned by Nabisco or something. Right. Like, you know, it's a giant or – like, or like even something even weirder. Like Sutter Home now yeah. owned by like, like – Nestle. Glaxo. Ne- Nestle owns like everything. Yeah, everything, right. <laughs> uh, and so then, so then, and then, um, and then, so it was a bunch of us started getting a little more serious about it, and started drinking a little bit more. And then one of us, you know, we had, we if you had a parent who kept had wine, you started drinking their wine, and then, um, and then you, and then I think as you sort of go and become a young adult and you're on your own, you start thinking a little bit more about, okay, well, I could keep this for five years, or, uh, or what are the what are the wines that I like that I, that are maybe a little bit of a budget stretch, but are delicious. Mm-hmm. So at that point. In California, when I moved there, and before, uh, 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 the Roan Rangers were big. So Bonnie June was there, yep. and um, Cigar Volant people were talking about, and that was this incredibly delicious Roan wine that we really people did not drink that much. Mm-hmm. Um, that weren't on that many lists. Yep. Uh, uh, people like Kermit Lynch were the ones importing that, but they were kind of the only ones. Right. Um, and then as you sort of as your taste sort of broadened, and you you decide what you like to eat, uh, you know, like what's better than a big, you know, sharp, minerally Loire white and a dozen oysters. That's like a really good meal. That or a Riesling. Yeah. Okay. You yeah. know, exactly. Some high acid, just yeah. mineral. No, it, it's, it, it does come together. What was, what was, if you had to pick a bottle, what was the bottle of wine that really hooked you? If you, if you, well, it was probably a Santa Steph. Okay. It was probably a, uh, uh, Costa de Tournel. Um, and it was probably, uh, an 80. Like, because it was a long time ago. Long yeah. time ago. Um, 
and you think, oh, oh, I get it. Oh, I, oh, oh, yeah. This is actually changing, and it, it. This is a living product that I'm drinking. That is going to change in the bottle, change in the glass. That's going to have weird depth to it. It's that yes, some of this like wine talk is pretentious and irritating, but it's true also. Yeah. Like it, it is true. And as long as you enjoy it, really enjoy it as a category, uh, instead of as a way to like be smart. Um, I think you're okay. Like my, my rule is when I go to a restaurant uh, that's a good, you know, good restaurant where it looks like it ha- they have somebody who's in charge of the wine list, I always ask for that person. Yeah. Like I, you know, I don't care. Like I don't know anything about these wines. Tell me. Here's kind of what I like. And then almost everyone – I don't. I mean even if like you go to Restaurant Danielle is a great wine list. The Psalms there, there's like four of them. They that they will they want to stand there and talk to you. Yep. Like, and when you say, listen, yep. I'm not, I don't want to spend more than 50 bucks. They're like, oh, okay, well, then you want this. Yeah, exactly. Then, like, they're then they really geek yeah. out. You yeah. Know? <clears throat> and I feel like that's what that's probably what people who 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 love wine or will want to love wine uh, should just do more. Just put those people to work. They, that's what they're there for. Mm. Mm. Well, Rob, um, you're a very busy man. So busy. Thank you for finding Professor Professor Professor. Long. Thank you. Yeah, Professor Long. As of and it's twelve o'clock today. Yeah, and then he's got a he's got you know he's got a he's got to dip out because he you know these these L A type people you know he, I know he got the call he's got a meeting but really so much fun I could talk to you for another three hours we're gonna have to get together hang out drink yeah, some got more wine, wine left here yeah what's going on um, you know um, uh, tell people where they can find you like you know, you know Ricochet Martini Shot where can people find you be a part of what you're doing uh, Martini Shot just go to uh, Martini Shot podcast. I think that's the place. It's also on all the regular places uh, where you find your find where your fine podcasts delivered. I'm sure the same here, like uh, Apple and yeah, Stitcher Apple, and Stitcher, all those places. Audible, Spotify. Spotify. Yeah. Um, well, man, thanks again. This is so much fun. Big shout out to our engineer Miles who hey, engineered Miles. this. Miles was like, "Hey, man, um, you know, I got a buddy. He's really into <laughs> wine. I told him about your podcast. You know, he's like, he's not, he's not, he's not like, I know, he's not like in the wine business, but you should have him on." And he's like, "I was like, all right, yeah." He's like, "His name's Rob Long. He, he was just, I was like, "Done. Get him on here." Wow. And so, um, it's you know, a really good Miles impression, by the way. Yeah. So we we really file we really <laughs> finally made it happen. Now this is great. Look, I mean, anytime people are just sitting around drinking wine, I'm I'm there. Yeah. So we'll do it again, man. You're a friend of the show. Thanks for coming, everybody. It's your boy, MJ. Uh, thanks for listening to Black Wine Guy Experience. Here's to all the, uh, all my wonderful people out there who are mavericks, philosophers, deep thinkers, and wine drinkers. You check all those boxes, Rob. Everybody, peace. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you learned something. You had some fun while you were here. Please subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening to. And if you want to be an insider and get special content, make sure you go over to blackwineguy.com and get on our email list.